Welcome to another episode of Radio Contra, coming at you live from the Gorilla Camp, located deep in the heart of rural northern North Carolina. And I, of course, am the Commandante of the Mossy Oak Militia, and that is all of you out there listening to this, the folks who are making things happen in the real world, who are the nuts and bolts, the gears that drive the machine of this still great nation of America. Although we are faltering a little bit, but then again, that is why you are here. And America shall be great once more and a shining beacon for peace and prosperity in the world. And I know that that sounds a little tough, Uh, It's certainly a tall order given a lot of the headlines of what you see in this day and age. But at the same time, simultaneously, brighter days are always going to be on the horizon. But we have to be reminded of the fact that we are going to have to fight for it. You have to be willing to get down into the trenches, get your hands dirty, because the time to sit on the sidelines is over, folks. It is absolutely over. If we look to the north, um, Canada going full-on fascist state uh, seeking to put down a genuine workers' revolt because that's that's exactly what this is. Um, And I, I find it quite ironic on many levels that the American left, the Canadian left, the international leftist, as it were, uh, are trying so hard to put down a, a genuine grassroots workers revolt. That's very, uh, very fascinating and very telling uh, and very telling. But uh, unfortunately, during the protest, it was big news throughout the weekend. Unfortunately, during the protest, um, it actually the news broke right after that last interview that I did with Kay of Combat Studies Group. But um, they put their horses into the crowd. Uh, it's a riot control technique. Uh, typically, you'll, you'll ride a quarter horse. Uh, they look like quarter horses to me. And I, I'm pretty familiar with horses. But anyway, they uh, rode them into the crowd. It's a pretty standard um, riot-breaking technique. But here's the thing. There, were, there, there was no rioting going on. Uh, There was no destruction, there was no burning of property, there was no looting, there was no shooting at the cops, there was none of this, right? It's simply people who are peacefully petitioning their government, which is a fundamental human right, it is a fundamental right as enumerated in the Bill of Rights, Uh, it is our most fundamental freedom, that's why it is part of the First Amendment, and they were put down. 
Um, one of the protesters, a couple of them who were trampled by the horses, one of them uh, unfortunately has died, and there was very clear footage that I watched from a couple of different angles. The Ottawa police released a statement saying, in effect, that someone had thrown a bicycle at that that uh, horse and it spooked it. Um, yeah, th- there was no bicycle, and, and I watched plenty of footage, enough of it, to, to put together um, a, a timeline of events, and the horse was certainly not spooked. Uh, the, the rider, the officer in question did look inexperienced to me, um, which tells me a lot also. Um, but anyway, unfortunately the, the lady, and I don't have her name right off hand, but the lady died and, um, it's, you know, this, this situation spiraling out of control and we should absolutely lionize this lady, we should absolutely declare her a martyr, um, because this is this is oppressive. When you are living under martial law, when you are living under a police state, when they are openly declaring themselves as kings, as lord governance over you, and you no longer have a peaceful means of redress of the government. It's a scary situation, but it is one that they created. It is one that they created, and I argue that they very well knew exactly what they were doing, at least on some level. Someone has known the entire time. Uh, Trudeau himself, he's the man's a puppet. Um, of course, he has totalitarianism in the blood. You, you know, you can make of that what you will. Uh, but he he absolutely has it in his blood. It's very telling for these leftists out there, uh, these unhinged leftists. And, and who knows exactly what happened to the left at some point along the way. Um, you know, but I, I truly think them gaining power and their mask came off. And I think that when we see it in the big picture, when we see what this is, um, you know, it, it's and, and it's the tale of communism over and over again. It's Animal Farm over and over again. Uh, all animals are equal, but some are a little more equal than others. Correct. Um, dust off the old Orwell uh, and, and Orwell is quite an interesting character. Quite an interesting character. But that being said, uh, Canada is absolutely going to spiral out of control. And when you begin to remove anyone's ability or I should say more properly, you, you remove, um, the incentive to cooperate peacefully, uh, and operate peacefully within the bounds of, of social norms, societal norms. Once you have removed that, and this is known as general deterrence theory, by the way, you can look this up uh, general deterrence theory of criminology, general deterrence theory of sociology. And when you remove this incentive to adhere to the rules and standards of a society or, or simultaneously, when you create laws that are so draconian and in conflict with a society's belief system, you have trouble. In every case, you have trouble, and that is exactly what we are seeing here. 
you know, the West has been so docile, and I, I say the entire West because this includes Europe, uh, Europe, United States, Canada, uh, Australia, because, of course, we forget about Australia, um, New Zealand, although there's some interesting things that are occurring in New Zealand that I'm going to touch on in a second. But the West is so docile. It is so docile. But even, even in its state of, of tranquility, of peace, of relative peace, yeah, I know, we've been, we've been at war for 20 years, sort of. Uh, sort of, some of us have been at war, the rest of the country kind of forgot that it was going on, all right, because it was just things, things that were recurring on the fringes of the empire, it's really no big deal, you're not paying attention to the larger fractures in the dam, but they're absolutely there, nonetheless, but what we're seeing is that even though Western civilization has had this long period of tranquility and kind of went along with everything. And there's been plenty of people who have been out there pointing out a lot of the problems, the inconsistencies, every issue that we have in society. It's all bubbling up. It's all coming to a head now, right? This is what we are seeing, and it is culminating in what I call the specialization of labor, uh, specialization of labor uh, breaking down along group lines. And what that means is that people from different categories of labor, people from different categories, different ethnic groups, what have you, are all collectivizing among themselves and figuring out that there are different ways to take this Leviathan down, to take this machine down. And believe you me, the, the people that are running the Kabuki Theater behind the scenes, the power structure, the power elite, who do not have a political ideology. Okay, let, let's point that out too. They do not have a political ideology. Political ideologies... To borrow a phrase from Marx that religion is the opiate of the masses, political ideology is also a type of opiate for the masses. You have to understand that. You have to understand that, that a lot of this kabuki theater that you see in front of you is being orchestrated. It is being orchestrated. It is being tailor-made for the masses to see. Now, that's not to say that there are politicians out there who are absolutely genuine. There, there are, and there are a lot of them. Um, and I have reached out to several uh, to try and get them on this podcast because we are outranking Glenn Beck right now. Uh, so up on Podbean, we are outranking Glenn Beck, ranked number four in news commentary, which I'm blown away by that. Absolutely blown away by that. Uh, but anyhow... You know, go go and check it out for yourself. If you don't believe me, rank number four. You know, still top one hundred. Um, even though the I've had a lot of classes going on, I'm getting ready to be in Tennessee for a week. Um, I haven't been able to record as much content as I want, but you, the audience, you, the audience, the the incredible warm reception that this podcast has received, nothing short of amazing. And, you know, when I'm back, I'll be out in Tennessee um, teaching RTO, advanced RTO and signals intelligence. When I'm back from there, we're going to be dropping the hammer. 
and hitting it hard. But uh, anyway, revisiting the larger picture of what's going on here and these societal fractures. So the power structure sees that the true grassroots movement, the true populist movement, the thing that they most fear, that their subservient classes underneath them have now become aware of their station in life. They are absolutely terrified of this. Make no mistake. And that is why uh, I believe, personally, that they're trying to drum up a war, uh, that they are trying to drum up a war with Russia to protect their economic assets that they have cultivated in Ukraine. And I have some predictions on that as well, which I'm going to be talking about later on in the show. But I want to revisit, real quick, New Zealand. New Zealand is having some very interesting things occur there that we're not really paying attention to, mainly because New Zealand is kind of a mystery place for a lot of um, Americans especially, but we, did, we just don't really, we don't really know what the dynamics of New Zealand are. And, you know, admittedly, I've never been to New Zealand. I want to go. I would love to go there. Um, they have their own little petty sock puppet tyrant in charge, uh, uh, Jacinda Arden, uh, who seems, you know, like a, like a smug, um, almost a, a Hillary Clinton wannabe type just very very smug and i don't know what hole they dug this woman up out of but i do know a little bit about new zealand culture uh having worked with some guys from the new zealand special operations uh from their sas um they they are uh, the kiwis and playing some rugby at one point in time um with some guys from new zealand that that was uh, that was a neat experience and, you know, learning, learning a lot about other corners of the world, which, which is really cool. And one of the things that I always thought was very fascinating and unique about New Zealand is that the Maori who are the native peoples to New Zealand have a peace treaty that is signed with the British inhabitants there. They never formally surrendered in so much that they signed a peace treaty saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to live here, you're going to live here. And that's how we're going to work things out. And part of that owed to their religion um, and part of that owed to the fact that, you know, it's a recognition that if, if they kept fighting and they kept going on and on that, you know, they they were probably going to end up a lot like native peoples in, in other parts of the world and, and not do so well because the British had no shortage of people. And even though their supply line was quite long to get them there, they would eventually get there. And the Maori probably didn't have the birth rate to support a prolonged war. So it was better to just sign a peace pact and move on and move on from there. But Outside of the New Zealand Parliament, you have the Maori out there protesting vaccine mandates, as they absolutely should. And they have been some of the most vociferous people, uh, both in, in New Zealand, but also uh, the Aboriginal community in Australia have been some of the most vociferous opponents 
to these draconian mandates, absolutely defying them on the front line of freedom. And you can't be more proud than to see that, than to see these people who see, you know, we're not, we're not taking this anymore. We played your game. We played, you know, by your rules all this time. Look where it got us. And we're not, we're not putting up with this crap anymore. We're not doing this. And it's got to the point to where the New Zealand government, and New Zealand, by the way, is the the home of you know the, this fortress that has been created for the elites, and they're very open about this. The Davos crowd, the Bilderberg crowd, right? The all of them, the global elites, the corporate elites, CEOs, they they've all publicly said they they have their places. In New Zealand, this is where they're going to go. They're going to have their flights going there when it all comes crashing down. And this whole house of cards begins to fall apart, right? So when we put these things together, when we see all this, you have the Maori who, as as native people, have been mistreated. Um, they, you know, they... they enjoy a in in some ways a, a different standard of living from others there and of course New Zealand and different parts of it has a, a very um, uh, both an a agricultural based economy but also a, a high tourist based economy as well much like in Australia and you've got these people who are saying nah you know we're not going to take this land down and they're performing their war dance outside of the New Zealand Parliament and uh, knowing a little bit about Polynesian culture in general as well, after uh, living in Hawaii for a couple of years and, and hanging out with a lot of the locals there, I got along real well with them. And, uh, you know, you, you had some guys, some soldiers that just they didn't they didn't mesh or whatever for whatever reason. But, um, man, I, I love Polynesian culture with a passion and, and got along great with all the guys there. And uh, a lot of lo- had a lot of local friends, scuba diving, surfing, um, went on a pig hunt with Spears one time. You know, it's just a, just a great culture, man. It's great culture, but uh, and a, and a warrior culture. Love MMA, love training, love love a good fight. You know, and and it just just great stuff. But these guys, man, you can tell when you see that intensity in their eyes, and. You know, it, it was one thing that was universal among Samoans, Tongans, Chamorans. Um, you see an intensity in their eye when they mean business, and they joke around, they're fun-loving people a lot. But when they mean business, they mean business, and they're not people to screw around with, and they're downright damn scary when they're pissed off. And what I saw out of that war dance that the Maori were performing outside of Parliament. It was saying, hey, we're peaceful right now. Keep it up, though. Keep it up. I'm just saying. You know, it, it, it is something to be appreciated. It is something to be respected. But it is also something to recognize that you don't disrespect. And that's what these governments are doing. But I'm going to tell you that the, the same look, you see the same look in people's eyes when you look at that those crowds in Ottawa, when you see those those protests all across Canada, when you see the people here in America, it's the same look in their eye. They're looking around, they're looking at the cameras, and they're saying, We're not gonna take this anymore. This is the last stop. 
This is the last stop. And either you cut the crap or we're going to cut it for you. It damn sure is coming, though. It damn sure is coming. The fight for freedom is here. The fight for freedom is what you are doing right now in this moment. And that's why I contend that the elites have nothing more to do than to pull back the curtain, let you know exactly who's in charge, then drum up a war to send your sons and daughters to fight and die for their interests and their interests alone. Smedley Butler called it, and he won't wrong. He definitely was not wrong. You go back and read his words, war is a racket, because it absolutely is. But again, that's why you need to get yourself prepared. That's why you need to get yourself well trained. That's why you need to be spending every day to figure out exactly how to get yourself in the best position. Because what are they going to do next? What are they going to pull next? We don't know. And what are the ramifications of what they are going to pull next? We don't know. We don't know, right? We can't prepare for every scenario, but what we can do is prepare ourselves and our families by focusing on what we can do today. Ready Wise Foods, that's an affiliate link. I'll have it down in the show notes. Click on that link. They've got a lot of food in stock. They had uh, just a, uh, a week ago, they had a 30% off sale of a one-month food supply. I had a link to it up on AmericanPartisan.org. That was one definitely to take advantage of. That was one to absolutely take advantage of. 30-year shelf life comes in, food-grade buckets, amazing stuff, right? I'm telling you, have that food insurance. And I don't use, I don't use a lot of freeze-dried food. I don't eat a lot of freeze-dried food, but I do have a good stockpile of it on hand because that will carry you through. That will carry you through the hard times. That will carry you through the poor growing seasons. Or for a lot of folks out there, uh, their first or second growing season where they're having to figure it all out. Because we got the growing seasons coming right around. Uh, here in North Carolina, generally speaking, mid-April is when stuff is going to start growing. Um, people are going to be putting things in. We get we continue to get a threat of frost up until about late April. But generally speaking, it's warm enough to where most plants can can make it through, at least in this climate. And um, you know, we, we start putting stuff in the ground. But it takes a lot of experience, knowledge, and working knowledge to do all that. Have a freeze-dry food that's definitely going to carry you through. All right. Palmetto State Armory. Palmetto State Armory has been the oldest friend of Radio Contra as a sponsor, as an affiliate. And, you know, quite frankly, if you are Johnny-come-lately at this point, uh, in need of a, a quality rifle, in need of something that's not going to break the bank. Um, I'm telling you, you really can't go wrong with the multitude of things that Palmetto State Armory is putting out right now. I think um, you could spend a lot more and get a lot less. And Palmetto State Armory is true to their belief 
of arming the American people and putting so many firearms in the hands of you, the civilians out there, quality firearms at that in the hands of you, the civilian populace out there, that any effort at attempting to disarm you is null and void. It's going to fall flat on its face. Palmetto State Armory is absolutely committed to that, and they're building some mighty fine firearms. My go-to AR, my go-to AK, both Palmetto State Armory guns, both of them. Uh, So, you know, definitely, definitely go to that page, whether it's your first AR, whether it is your 50th AR-15. Palmetto State Armory has got you covered. Now, on to our sponsors CivilDefenseManual.com, Jack Lawson's two-volume set. I wrote the communications chapter in it. It is a two-volume book on exactly how to get yourself well-prepared and equipped for what is coming down the pipe in an uncertain future. So definitely go check that out, CivilDefenseManual.com, CivilDefenseManual.com. Blacksmith Publishing, my two very good friends, Mike Blackburn and Paul LeFavor. Special operations legends, instructors to the U.S. Army Special Forces Qualification Course, Small Unit Tactics Course, and they wrote the book on it. They wrote the book on it. U.S. Army Special Forces Small Unit Tactics Handbook. You need it. Okay, do not delay. I'll have link down below in the show notes. You need this book. It should be self-explanatory as to why you need it. Guys that came out to the scout course, and, and my scout course roster keeps getting deeper and deeper, I recommend this book to all of them in a big, bold letters. You need this book. You absolutely need this book. But they got a lot of other great titles, too. Got a lot of other great titles. Their uh, land navigation book that they have. I can't say enough good things about this land nav book. It is short. It is to the point. It is chock full of practical experience and great pointers in there to teach anybody at any skill level. I've been doing land navigation for a long, long time now. Map and compass, getting out there, whether it's a base plate compass for orienteering, lensatic compasses, been through a lot of harsh terrain, few natural features right out of White Sands, New Mexico. You get out there and it looks like the surface of the moon, right? But you can still land nav, right? This book, you need this. You need this. And then from a spiritual perspective, you guys have heard me talk about iron sharpening iron. Paul LeFevre wrote that. He is an incredible author. He is a theologian in his own right uh, since he retired from the army. He became a minister. And what an incredible book. Got me through some hard personal times in my life. And I think that it would do the, the very same for you. But they've got some incredible other books as well. Blacksmith Publishing. Check them out. Check out their Amazon.com um, storefront as well. And I got links down below in the show notes to all of those. Then finally, last but absolutely not least, Tactical Wisdom. My buddy Joe Dolio. I was trying to get him on for a podcast this weekend. And our schedules just didn't line up. He had a, a killer analysis of of what was going on in Ukraine. I'm about to dive into some of those uh, same topics 
and kind of my take on it. But he had, I mean, right off the bat, had a great analysis. And it was my thoughts almost exactly. It's scary when, when you encounter somebody who thinks almost exactly like you do. Um, you know, at first it's a little suspicious, and then you just kind of watch him for a while, and then you realize that it's it's nothing more than experience, man, and, and, and the guy knows what he knows, right? But um, anyway, tacticalwisdom.com, his three-volume set, required reading, required reading, tacticalwisdom.com. Get these books. They're 20 bucks each. They're not expensive. Okay, they're not expensive. They're available in PDF form as well. So you can put them on your e-reader, your little Kindle Fire, whatever it is you got. You can put it on there as well. You can read it wherever, carry it wherever. Me personally, I prefer ink and paper for everything. It's just me. It's just the way I do things. I'm kind of old school from time to time. and light up a good cigar, curl up with a good book, a little Ian Fleming every once in a while. is definitely good, a little Ernest Hemingway, right? Now, with with manuals, with instruction manuals, I think that uh, what Joe has written, it, it all comes from a, a biblically-based perspective on preparedness and everything that you're doing. The man is absolutely 100% committed to the fight for freedom. He is an unabashed and unapologetic Christian. He will absolutely tell you exactly what he thinks. And he absolutely has zero uh, bars on where his perspective is in the world. And I love every bit of it. Tacticalwisdom.com. Go check him out. Support him. And we support our own, by the way. We support our own. So the love and support. And and uh, circling back to Mike Blackburn, he reached out to me not that long ago. And he was just blown away by the response that this audience has given Blacksmith Publishing. So that's a big shout-out to all of you out there. That's a big shout-out to all of you. That's a big validation to all of you that he's he is giving all of us kudos. And he said, you know, I, I knew that this, this was a great audience. I knew that your audience was a great audience, but I had no idea just how good they are. And... I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate that warm reception from all of you. So thank you for all of that. Now, for myself, I've got new dates up on the training calendar. Uh, a handful of new dates. I've got a prolonged field care course that is coming up that is uh, being taught at the request of a student that I've had in a few classes. Uh, this student is a medical doctor who has worked with Doctors Without Borders, primarily in Latin America. Uh, a mountain of experience in long-term medicine off-grid and in dealing with medical issues that uh, possibly may arise from everyday life living off-grid in austere environments, uh, agricultural-based environments where, you know, you don't have modern medicine and, you know, the, all of the, the high-tech stuff that, that we will typically have. Um, 
I was blessed to have her as a student in the RTO course. Uh, my very good friend, Mech Medic, had her as a student in the TC3, or Tactical Combat Casualty Care course, as well. And she reached out to us wanting to do a, a class where she sets up how you would run a clinic in a grid-down environment and the considerations that you need, um, as well as the treatment of cholera which I think is is really just critically important um, because cholera is a disease we don't really deal with here in the States. And, and we don't really see that because we have, uh, you know, clean water. But how long will we have clean water? And that, that's something I've talked about a lot. I've been guests on many other podcasts. I was on with Mike Adams. Um, you know, just about a year ago, I think when we did our, our first one and I talked about that very thing, uh, was that in, in a breakdown situation in suburban areas and urban areas, the challenge of just getting clean drinking water is, is going to be, uh, horrendous and is going to lead to a, a significant loss of life as conditions deteriorate. Um, so anyway, you know, this, this class really, I think, is, is critically important. I jumped on it. It's going to be the first weekend in April. Shoot me an email if you want to get the registration details on that course. I'm very excited to offer it. I've got a few people that have already registered for it. It hasn't even been on the calendar for a week. Um, definitely come out. Magmatic with Stuck Pig Medical. He has got a bunch of dates up as well. He has got a bunch of new dates up as well. He's going to have one in Tennessee as well over at Ready Made Resources. And he is teaching uh, Partisan Lifesaver over there. Three-day course. I'm telling you, you need it, okay? You need the medical training. Going back to my interview with Clay Martin, Medical training, I mean, communications training, you know, that, that's my forte. That is absolutely a critical area and one that has frequently um, been ignored by a lot of folks. Uh, but, you know, not anymore. Uh, absolutely not anymore. All, all of my combo classes are, are filling up and I'm, I'm having to run them at higher capacity than normally I feel comfortable doing. Uh, and in one case uh, coming up, this this um, next course is coming up, it's about double the capacity that I normally feel comfortable teaching a class. But hey, that's fine. You know, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. But combo training is is great. You need to be on top of it. That's why I added another course here in the southeast um, at my place in North Carolina. That's going to be the first week of June. And that is up on the calendar. I've also got another carbine class that is up as well um, that first weekend in June. So a lot of training in June. Originally, I was going to take that time off and I was going to just focus on spending it with family and chilling and, you know, in, enjoying things a little bit. But you know what? The way the world events are shaping, we got we to gotta get out and train. But circling back to what I was saying. Medical training was the difference. Uh, you know, Clay Martin really hammered that in the interview. I've talked about that uh, with Kay. The last interview that I did with Kay's last episode, we touched on that a little bit. Um, the previous interview that I did with him, we talked about it quite a bit. I've talked about it in a lot of other podcasts. I've done plenty of them with Mech Medic as well. You need to be training in medical skills. 
Okay, you need to be training your medical skills because you're going to be doing a lot more than that than shooting. And if you are going out and getting engaged in the fight, then you can absolutely expect to be taking casualties. Okay, it, w- once you hit the two-way range, all bets are off. Okay, and, and everybody, everybody out there is on an equal playing field. I don't care who you are. Okay, I don't care who you are. So you need to be getting that medical training. You need to be getting that in. Stuck Pig Medical, go check his site out. Check those core states and let him know that I sent you over there. Um, I do hang out at some of his classes if I don't have something else going on. Um, so, you know, you'll get to, to meet, hang out, interact with me as well. And, and of course, I love every second of that. Um, but definitely get those in. They're all up on the calendar. StuckPigMedical.com. So, looking at the latest coming out of Ukraine, of course, you know, the big news was the quote-unquote mortar shell that uh, hit a school, and there was no signs of blast overpressure, there was no signs of uh, flash burns or powder residue or any explosive from the main charge. Um it doesn't hold water okay the 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 whole claim doesn't hold water um where i mean what was the the point of origin site or the poo site where was it um the the whole dantesque region is covered in counter battery radars i mean they you don't you don't have a ceasefire and you don't go into a ceasefire and not put your your assets up that will be able to detect incoming fire. You just don't do that. Especially, and I know that they're fielding these systems because they're, at least on the Ukrainian side, they're backed wholly by the United States. So it's probably a lot of hand-me-down equipment, stuff that was left over on the Raytheon shelves that they just had to offload. It was stuff that was meant to go to the fobs um, over in Afghanistan or Iraq or, or you know, um, uh, Yemen, uh, Saudi Arabia, wherever else, right? Wherever else we're fielding these things. And they put them there, okay? It's it's not beyond the pale to consider that, that we did that. So they didn't get a point of origin site. They don't have any any uh, post blast analysis. They don't have uh, pictures of of the leftover pieces of the shell after it detonated. Um, nothing. They don't have anything. It, it just doesn't doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Now, over on AmericaPartisan.org, um, again, it's a perfect example. I, I don't. I don't live in an echo chamber, and and uh, some of the writers over there definitely don't agree um, with me about you know everything, the breakdown of the world events, and and how Ukraine is going. And I don't agree necessarily with their perspective. That's fine. Um, we need to have those multiple perspectives on things. And one of the the prevailing thoughts was that the Russians did this; they committed it, it was a, a type of false flag attack. Um, to precipitate another goal, right? Uh, I don't buy it. I don't buy that for a second. They have absolutely nothing to gain by doing that. Uh, absolutely nothing to gain by doing that. And then they immediately, uh, Putin began an evacuation 
uh, ordering the evacuation of civilians from that region. And so it was something to the degree of 700,000 people that they pulled out from that region and, and are safely now within the borders of Russia. Now, this would explain why the Russians put those temporary bridges in. So kind of dial the clock back a week. I know that's, that's kind of hard to do, but uh, a lot of the pundits were out there making a big deal about how uh, the Russians had put these temporary bridges across the river uh, that, that separates Ukraine's boundary and uh, with, with the uh, Donetsk region and with Russia proper. And Donetsk and Lugansk are uh, two, two regions that are hotly contested. Uh, post Euromaidan and and all of that going on and um, you know Russian separatists, but anyway they they pulled their people out, they pulled them across those temporary bridges. So what it's looking like, at least to me, as a neutral observer, is that it was a humanitarian effort. They saw where this is going. It was a false flag that was precipitated by Ukrainian forces. Or, you know, this is at best, it was Ukrainian forces. Of course, at worst, could, you know, could absolutely be assets of Western intelligence that did this as well. Uh, Western uh, covert assets. We don't know. Okay, we we don't know. But but a hole is a hole is a hole. To quote Where Eagles Dare, uh, one of the the greatest films of all time, Clint Eastwood, Richard Burton. A hole is a hole is a hole, right? It doesn't matter if it's uh, British machine gun holes or German machine gun holes. They're machine gun holes, and that's all that matters, right? So mortar shell holes are are all that matters. And I think that the Russians see what's getting ready to happen, and they are preventing a larger humanitarian crisis before it is allowed to take place. It's very noble on their part. If that is what is occurring, and it looks like it has been, moving 700,000 civilians out of a region is absolutely... Uh, a daunting task on a good day and and they have moved that many people out and absorbed them into the larger russian population right now in that region they are housing them so um you know noble effort there on their part now the security chief of that region his uh jeep truck whatever a lot of neva whatever it is it caught on fire or blew up we had pictures of that i put the picture up of the aftermath of that of course also occurring on thursday it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense in the the big picture of why you would car bomb something with the driver not in it that just kind of looks fake i mean I don't know. I've seen a V better too. I've seen an assassination attempt or two. And typically, um, typically speaking, especially remote detonated and, and victim operated devices as well. Um, you don't just blow them up without the person inside of it unless they did it themselves, which I encountered one such case in Iraq, so thing you know absolutely can happen. Things can absolutely happen and break down that way. But it just doesn't. It just doesn't uh, doesn't convince me. Doesn't convince me that that larger uh, pieces are definitely banging on the war drum for something to happen. Now, very interestingly, I've got another couple of pieces. Uh, one of which is up on AmericanPartisan.org. Uh, the Russian state ministry 
uh, spokesperson Maria Zarkova. I translated this from Russian and uh, put the article up. This was originally coming from R.I. Novosti, and um, that is one of the Russian state media outlets. But um, so uh, anyway, picture of uh, Maria Zarkova. And uh, Zakharova, rather. And Russia does not intend to attack Ukraine. Uh, Russia has clearly indicated to the United States that it is not attacking Ukraine, Zarkova said. Foreign Ministry spokesman Zakharova, Russia has clearly indicated to the United States that it is not attacking Ukraine. In the message to the United States on security guarantees, it was clearly indicated that Russia is not attacking Ukraine and does not intend to do so. The first page of this text, Russia's reaction to the American response on security guarantees. All of the ones where NATO was saying they weren't going to expand, but did. Uh, it is written Ukraine. And then, quote, Russia had no intentions and does not intend to carry out aggressive actions in attack against Ukraine, Zakharova said on the air of the program Svoya Pradva on NTV. Earlier, the Russian Foreign Ministry published a response to the U.S. reaction to Russian or uh, yes, to Russian security guarantees in which, in particular, it was noted that the United States did not respond to the proposal to withdraw nuclear weapons deployed outside its borders to the national territory and refused their further deployment outside the national territories. So, uh, this article is really important from a lot of perspectives. Um, it, it's essentially telling you what the Russians are, are really concerned about, and that's us parking nuclear weapons right up on their border um you know it, it's the uh cuban missile crisis but in reverse and they want you know and and you can respect this they want a little bit of room they want some security guarantees uh because again this shouldn't be considered as as being a russophile or taking sides it's just looking at things objectively um you know everybody wants peace and, and we're really trying to bring this um up to their border now uh this is another one that i think is very significant that i'm gonna kind of give my breakdown and and my interpretation of what I think is going to go here. I contend that there is going to be no uh, invasion of Ukraine on part of Russian uh, interests. They don't want that. That is my assessment. And uh, what I do think that they're doing, though, is they are courting Zelensky to try and build better ties with his government uh, and kind of uh, coax him away from Western interests. Of course, he was installed by Western interests, but he is warmed up to the Russians. There's a lot of evidence. Uh, his dressing down of Biden over the phone saying, you know, the, the Russians aren't really preparing to invade. You need to calm down. But um, this story here, this is coming from NBC News, and, and I think that this is very telling um, that they are absolutely concerned about what Zelensky is doing. U.S. concerned about Zelensky's trip to Munich uh, because he is headed to Munich. 
The Ukrainian president hasn't made a final decision on the visit as Washington worries Russian Russian president Vladimir Putin could exploit his absence. Uh, So the the presence of Zelensky going to Munich, and that just means they'll invade then. Uh, but his military commanders are, are still there. They're, they're still well-coordinated. So um, he's not a, a general in charge. So at the tactical level, his presence there really doesn't make much of a difference. Uh, but anyway, I digress. That, that's not really what they're worried here. And of course, this is by Andrea Mitchell, NBC News. Uh, Kristen Weller, or uh, Welker, rather, uh, Josh Letterman and Aaron McLaughlin. I'm sure they're all uh, well-seasoned news people uh, calling it right down the middle. We know and Andrea Mitchell. Uh, we know that she is uh, <laughs> really uh, quite the news person herself. Uh, but anyway, coming out of Washington, of course, their Washington Bureau of NBC News, National Broadcasting Company News, the most trusted voice in news According to NBC, the Biden administration is concerned about Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, his plans to leave his country this weekend and attend the Munich Security Conference, where he's scheduled to meet in person with Vice President Kamala Harris, according to four people familiar with the matter. Administration officials are worried that it's too risky right now for Zelensky to leave the country given the pop or the potential for conflict and that Russian President Vladimir Putin could somehow exploit his absence. They said amid those concerns and on the eve of Zelensky's scheduled departure for Germany, a spokesperson said that the Ukrainian president was monitoring the situation and a final decision would be made in the coming hours. As of this morning, President Zelensky was planning to attend the Munich Security Conference. Now, we're observing the situation, which is getting more and more dramatic. The spokesperson, Sergei uh, Nikiforov, said, If there is a dramatic escalation or some worrying messages, then he might change his mind. As of now, we're still waiting to see what is going to happen. Asked if anyone in President Joe Biden's administration had conveyed to Zelensky's government that the U.S. officials don't believe it's a good idea for him to leave the country at this time, State Department spokesman Ned Price, uh, Mr. False Flag himself, declined to answer directly. We have indicated this is a decision for him to make. Price said on NBC's Andrea Mitchell reports. Uh, Harris and Zelensky are scheduled to meet Saturday. Uh-huh. So Zelensky has been in talks with Putin uh, quite a bit, communicating through all this crisis, doing exactly what he should as a head of state. And the head of state is always the, the chief diplomat. He is he's the man in charge, straight from the horse's mouth. Um, and he's been in close contact with Vladimir Putin, and it is not being reported what they have discussed. And it is not being reported in Western media. I haven't found much in the way of uh, Russian sources as well 
in what exactly is it that they are talking about. But I can tell you, uh, I can tell you that they, they're probably discussing security concerns and Putin being a, uh, a pragmatist and somebody who is at least at this point seeking peace. Uh, the last thing that he wants is, is another war where, uh, the Russian military is is going to be caught into a certain Greek uh, uh, meat grinder for a significant amount of time. He doesn't want to get hooked up into that. You got to remember when Putin came into power, this was on the heels of an incredibly bloody fight in Chechnya that the Russian army had lost at that time. And they went in with a completely different strategy and were able to maintain the peace for a certain amount of time uh, and and also in, in putting uh, a strong man in charge of Chechnya and building, uh, allowing Chechen uh, hegemony to maintain itself and perpetuate itself. So they have that cultural identity and made it very clear that, that uh, Russia was not trying to stamp out their cultural identity, but rather wanting to work with them to build a better nation. And, and so far, it, it seems to have worked for right now. Uh, diplomatically, the Russians learned a lot of lessons from that, and I think that they're applying them to this situation as well. you got to remember that in the Dantesk region and the uh, Luhansk region, these were areas that considered themselves ethnically Russian and not Ukrainian as well. And so they were already, there was a separatist movement that had already uh, fomented there. Now, um, Zelensky is kind of in a, a strange situation as well because Ukraine is, is uh, very much aware and remembers the effects of Holomador and they are, you know, absolutely not going to let that go um, and, and are very weary of greater ties with Russia and, and being absorbed into a larger hegemon there, too. So we're kind of we're entering an interesting chapter of history of the politics of that region. Washington doesn't really know what to make of this. Uh, Biden absolutely doesn't know what to make of this. And why is Biden not meeting with Zelensky? Why is Kamala Harris meeting with Zelensky? She she's not uh, the vice president meeting with the president of a, a country that they've made such a large to do about. You got to remember, I mean, she just came off of her disaster of a tour in Central America. It was a complete disaster. She had absolutely no idea what she was doing. She got laughed out of Guatemala. The El Salvadoran president laughed at her. The El Salvadoran president seems to be more in tune to both American and Canadian politics than our own politicians are. And so they understand what's going on. They see the bigger picture. So what I predict, where I see this going, there's not going to be a violent invasion. I've said that the entire time. Of course, we had some some tit-for-tat shells going back and forth, a little bit of gunfire here and there. Um, again, a hole is a hole is a hole. We had a very dramatic explosion in, in Lukansk 
a uh, natural gas pipeline went up there. It was a very interesting example of a thermobaric explosion. If you can find the video, I've got the video floating around. Um, it was mobile only. I shared it with a couple of people. Very, very fascinating uh, to see that. And so there are people there who want to get rowdy. There are elements there who are ready for a fight, have prepared themselves for a fight. Because you're always going to have that. But as far as a, a large-scale invasion goes, I just don't see it happening. And Russia seems to, at least at this point, they have made two strategic moves that are highly significant. They have bolstered their ally in Belarus with their military forces, that which, which is well within their right to do so, especially considering that we just fomented a failed color revolution in Belarus. Okay, Vice News was telegraphing this. Wherever Vice News shows up, by the way, there's getting ready to be trouble because they are there as documentarians. They are hired guns in the propaganda war as documentarians to document regions in conflict and put a highlight on things that are going to be a problem, usually to the benefit of globalist interests. If you look at Vice News's track record over and over, that's exactly what they've done. It's, it is a pattern and it is uh, cut and dry propaganda geared towards millennials, geared towards my generation and younger. Okay, that is exactly what they are looking to do. So, uh, you know, failed color revolution in Belarus, failed color revolution in Kazakhstan. The Russians see this for what it is. They're bolstering one of their allies that just so happens to be on the border with Ukraine. They put in uh, bridges crossing the river, temporary bridges to help facilitate the evacuation of civilians from that region because they know something is getting ready to go down. They know that proxies operating on part of Western interests are about to do something bad. So they're pulling their civilians out of there. They're preventing a larger humanitarian crisis. It's commendable. It is very commendable. And I think that it is shameful on the part of the West to be continuing to provoke this war. Germany wants no part of it, and they made it very clear. They do not want any part of this. They've dialed it back. France has dialed it back. Macron's, now, you know, we're not going to do this. And it's really, the, the, the mask has come off of these totalitarian problems that we have here at home, that Canada has. And meanwhile, they want to stir up wars elsewhere to take the heat off of them, to take the attention away. It's exactly what they're doing. And it's sad. I think that it's very sad. But it is your job. It is your job out there as the the people, as that Mossyoke militia that I like to, to label everybody, the listenership of Radio Contra, all of the folks out there, the good people of this country and really the good people of the world who are just the common man who are looking for a, a way to gain stability amid all of this. Your best path is to share what you hear. Share the alternative media sources. 
Share this podcast. Share the other podcasts out there. You listen to something good and you like it. You like what that podcast says. You like the points that they're bringing up. Share it. Spread the word. Spread the word of alternative media and shut these state organs down. Shut the Andrea Mitchells down. Shut these liars down. Shut these people down who are handed their script. Shut them down. And the way that you do that is you hit them in the pocketbook. You cut them off. You quit watching. Look at what's going on at CNN. They're falling apart. They're falling apart. And this podcast is growing. And we've got a huge audience. And it is growing exponentially every single day. Ranked number four in news commentary right now. And you better doggone well believe that I am very proud of that. Because what a great audience we have. What a great audience that we have. People out there preparing themselves in self-defense and training to better themselves, to live a better life for life, liberty, and that pursuit of happiness. Those fundamental freedoms and those fundamental principles that make us American. Folks, God bless all of you. Pray for this republic. There is absolutely hope yet. Don't ever get too down on yourselves. Don't ever let anybody, the news, anything beat you down. Because we're going to win this. But it's going to take work. And a lot of it. You can't stay on the sidelines anymore. Until next time, when we speak again, this is NC Scout, out.